It's time for another episode of Corner of the Galaxy from the Box. The show that gets you behind the scenes of the LA Galaxy and into the minds of soccer reporters and MLS experts. Your hosts for the day are Corner of the Galaxy's Josh Gessman and LA Times soccer reporter Kevin Baxter. Let's start the show. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Corner of the Galaxy from the Box on cornerofthegalaxy.com. Coming to you on a wonderful Tuesday, not a Monday, that's right, a Tuesday, uh, July 14th. The LA Galaxy coming off of a 2-1 loss to the Portland Timbers. We, of course, are going to cover that game in, uh, in all of its little intricacies and uh, talk about maybe there were some positives in that, maybe there are negatives. Maybe the day after, some people are feeling a little bit better, and maybe the day after, some people are feeling a little bit worse about what they saw. Uh, with the LA Galaxy, but we're going to cover the Western Conference standings, because remember the group stages actually count for uh, regular season games, so we're going to talk about that, um, and also some other stats that we can pull up about the LA Galaxy. All right, a lot to get to. We'll talk to our man on the ground, man on the scene. Uh, I'm one of the few people who was able to be a spectator uh, at some of these games. We got uh, Mr. Kevin the Panda Baxter uh, direct from I guess it's not really Orlando. It's like it's like Kissimmee. Are you just outside of, uh, of, of Orlando there? Yes. Actually, that's a good question. There's a lot of different jurisdictions here. I am actually at a hotel in Lake Buena Vista, which is, you know, people refer to as uh, Orlando. Uh, Disney calls ESPN's Wild World of Sports, they call it Kissimmee. It's actually in the city of Bay Lake, which only has, I think, like four residents. It's it's kind of like Celebration, one of those Disney-created uh, communities. You know, um, yeah, communities, but then nobody lives there. So it's okay. actually Bay Lake. Everyone calls it Kissimmee. So that's the dateline we're using, Kissimmee. But um, what, what I can tell you for sure is very few people seem to be wearing face masks here in Orlando. Uh, or in Florida in general, which may explain why they're having t- ten to twelve thousand COVID nineteen positives every day. Yeah, that's a it's a lot, and I can uh, I can understand uh, certainly that concern. I know you're not inside the bubble, and we should make that clear. Um, quite honestly, anytime you see any MLS player, and even on our press conferences where they're talking to uh, to video screens, uh, everybody's still wearing their masks. Um, so on the MLS side, Kevin, it feels like the uh, like the the MLS side is doing their part in terms of wearing masks. It just might be. Uh, everybody outside of that well yeah you know the thing is uh, when you look at what mls has done and the protocols they put in place and and the way they're being enforced that uh, brendan hannon the galaxy pr person came over to to talk to us in the press box the other day and th- there are sort of barriers i guess are uh, you have to keep a, a distance just by the the physical obstacles that are separating the field from the the press tribune so there wasn't any danger of him getting close but as he came over fully masked just to say hello uh, an, an MLS guard came up and said, you can't come over and you can't be this close to these people. You know, they're not in the bubble. And it, it seemed a little ridiculous, but it, it also seemed probably kind of smart. You know, they, they, they want to make sure that there's absolutely no chance uh, of anything uh, contaminating the bubble, which, you know, frankly, is already contaminated. But it, for example, everyone we know, everyone had to be tested twice before they got on the plane. They got tested when they got to the resort. They had to go to their room and wait until the test results came in. If it took two hours, if it took eight hours, they had to stay in their room until they were cleared to come out. As you said, they're masked up wherever they go, except on the practice field. It's the only time in their room. It's the only time they can't wear the mask. Um, they're tested every other day. Um, there was some talk about the hotel workers. Uh, their, their union said, no, we're not going to have these people stay in quarantine for five for five weeks, they need to go home to their family. But the bus drivers who drive the teams and the and MLS executives and the referees and all those people from the resort to the uh, 
to the playing field, those people are all in the bubble just to, you know, to keep make sure that, that they don't in, infect any players. So I think MLS has done everything that they can. They've been as careful as possible. But the problem is this virus is just – it, it's so strong and so and it and it's sneaky and it, it you know as strong as MLS has been as robust as their protocols have been the virus has just been stronger yeah it, yeah I mean you know it's it's highly contagious and it's certainly something that everybody sort of has to worry about uh, whenever they're inside the bubble doing all that stuff so uh, oh here's I, one other thing you don't yeah. know when you talk about the protocols you've probably seen on TV that the, there's like a little pedestal right where the players go and pick up a ball when there's a throw in or something um, you know if a ball goes out of bounds they don't chase after it and there's there's the ball boys are sort of hidden. So they, when they get the ball, the ball boys get the ball, they put it on a pedestal and it's there for the players to grab. Uh, same with the goal kick. When those balls go out of play, there are ball boys there that you don't see. They're wearing gloves and they're carrying a little bottle of disinfectant. They pick the ball up and completely uh, cover it and disinfect it before they place it on that pedestal. So even when a ball goes out of bounds, it's been kicked. No one's touched it. It's just right. hit a boot. Uh, that gets clean before it gets put back into play. Yeah, it's we've been uh, we've been watching that with the ball racks and everything else. And by the way, yeah. uh, uh, the hammer and I have taken a vote, and we decided that the studio definitely needs one of those ball racks. So if you could just fit one in your carry on and bring that home, we would we would very much appreciate it. I think those ball racks are in the bubble, so that might be tough to get to. Maybe if I stay until the final. It'll be interesting to see what happens to the, after the final, right? Does everyone just rip their mask off and just say, aha, Yeah, we're done. We, we made it. Yeah, no, I would I would imagine. I mean, you know, uh, I know there were questions about trying to get, you know, FC Dallas and, and Nashville out of the bubble um, at one point, just because how do you take people who have, you know, tested positive and who are, you know, in these, in these conditions, how do you get them out when, you know, if they're still, quote unquote, you know, testing positive because you can't put them on a plane. Uh, you can't put them on a bus. You can't do anything. So so really, it's shelter in place for a while uh, and get the medical care that everybody needs. And uh, again, I think MLS sort of has that now, you know, sort of figured out. But well, I, I don't know of anybody. Do you know if FC Dallas and Nashville, the, are, are they still in Orlando? I just talked to Jordan Harvey from LAFC about that today because and the reason I spoke to him is he was speaking to his former teammate, Walker Zimmerman, who uh, plays for Nashville. And Apparently, the story is, you know, Nashville had nine players and, and FC Dallas had 10 who tested positive. They went to the isolation wing of the hotel. They need to stay in their rooms for 14 days. Mm -hmm. um, they, they cannot come out for any reason. So it's not like they can't get on a plane. They can't even come out of their room to go down to get on a bus to go to a plane. Right. So they're in their rooms. Uh, the question now is the clean players. Do they go home without their teammates um, or do they stay? Some of the players apparently are still in isolation themselves, not in the isolation wing, but in their in their individual rooms because they had come in contact with those players. So it's a very dicey thing. It seems like the players are sort of divided into different categories. Those who have the the virus, you can't go near them and they can't leave. Those who have been in contact are sort of in another stage. And then those who have been completely cleared are in a third stage. But the point is, it sounds like all the teams are staying together. Uh, and they'll leave as a group. How they'll do that and when they'll do that, um, it hasn't really been worked out yet, or at least that hasn't been announced even to the players. Right, right. No, it all makes sense. Well, I, I know that you also have some unique experience in terms of watching these games. This isn't exactly like uh, the normal press boxes that you're used to sitting in. I, I think that's maybe the understatement of the century, perhaps. 
No, it's it's actually very bizarre. Uh, if you've never been to uh, ESPN's Wild World of Sports, I went there when it was still Disney's Wild World of Sports with my son, and it, it was a really cool place. the The theme park element of it now is all gone, and now it's just a basically a competition venue. I think they have 17 soccer fields. There's a major league spring training baseball field there that's still owned by the Atlanta Braves. There are three full size basketball gymnasiums where the NBA is now uh, going to be playing. So it, it's a massive complex. Uh, we come in the backside, and, and as you come up the main uh, drive to get to Wide World of Sports, there are uh, local sheriffs out there, uh, you know, stopping traffic. You have to show them a credential. You have to actually, your name has to physically be on a list that they have. Uh, and then if, if you pass those two tests, then they let you go through, go into a grass parking lot. It reminds me sort of, of of some of the Olympic Games I've covered in that when you come in sort of through the back, there's a lot of scaffolding and there's a lot of barriers and things and special places we have to walk. There's security guards everywhere. You have to show your credential. Then when you get actually close to where the fields are, you need to go through a security checkpoint where it checks a chip uh, in your press pass to make sure you you are who you say you are and you've been cleared. Then you have to put your press pass in another little uh, kiosk and get your temperature checked. Uh, once that's been done, then you go through the security, you know, like the airport where they check your bags and all that. Then you wait in a little muster area um, for an MLS executive or uh, official to come and, and lead you to the press box. You can't get to the press tribune on your own. So you go through all that procedure just to get to this press tribune. There's room for only about 10 journalists, and it's only been filled once that I know of. That was the first game um, with Orlando and Miami because they're local, and so they had uh, multiple people there. So you go to this big press area. You have a, a rather huge table because they're, uh, you know, it's social distancing. It's not the elbow-to-elbow thing that we have at uh, Dignity Health Sports Park. You have a rather large table, little table fan there, uh, and, uh, you know, you sit there with your mask. You have to keep your mask on. Oh, you sit there. breaking news. Hold on. I, w- I want to know. We have breaking news. So so, so, who called you this time? This was a, a call from a former Miami Herald associate who must have just found out that I'm in, in Florida. <laughs> coming to break but you, break you I, out of your, your – your, your, There he goes your, again. Yeah, coming to break you out of your, your house there. I understand. Okay, cool. C- continue. Sorry. So um, you go and you sit uh, at these large tables. It's in the – it's behind the goal line in the – in one corner – and if you sit on one side of that press tribune, you can't see the entire field. In fact, you can't see most of the field. Uh, where I was sitting last night, I actually had a good seat because both of my teams were playing in the doubleheader. So I actually got the best seat in the house. What I thought was the best seat in the house until halftime when the sprinklers come on to wet the field down for the second game, and it just completely wiped out the press box. <laughs> um, you know, the computer, everything uh, uh, drenched. There's a, there was also next to that seat, there was a tra- tra- trailer truck size speaker they use. If you've been to a baseball game before fans are let in and uh, players are taking batting practice, they have uh, rock music playing at a really high decibel. That's how this is, why the players are warming up. Uh, and it's it's ear shattering. But the biggest problem was they put it on uh, after the first game as the Galaxy uh, you know, was coming on to warm up. They had the music playing. The problem was those of us in the press box, we were still on the Zoom press conference uh, from the, the teams from the first game, uh, you know, from Houston and, and LAFC. And we were trying to listen to those press conferences and this music was blaring. Um, so all that is, it's impossible to see the game. There are no announcements. If you've listened to some of the games from Europe, you'll hear them make announcements when a substitution comes in. They'll announce it to the empty stadium. There are no announcements at all. It's completely quiet. You can hear the players, but uh, as far uh, other than that, it's completely quiet. No announcements or anything. So 
um, unless you're watching real intently, you don't, you really don't know when substitutions are coming on. There's no explanation uh, of yellow cards or, or red cards or, you know, VARs. You don't know about VAR. You just kind of have to watch what's going on in the field to see and try to figure out what's going on. There's no official announcements of anything. There's one small monitor uh, for replays in the press tribune, and that's used by the guy who does the stats. So you have to kind of go stand behind behind him if you want to watch a replay. Um, the conclusion, you and I were talking about this earlier, the conclusion for me, and, and this was uh, um, – kind of hammered home the first day of the for the first game when we were led into the complex uh, a very high-ranking mls communications person said remember everybody this is a television set so stay out of the way uh, we've known that this was going to be a made for tv tournament and you've seen the the advertisements on the blue screen and those kind of things so that's true but i never really thought that the the media that those of us who cover the league on a day-to-day basis and have covered the league before it really had decent TV contracts, when it really wasn't much of a league, you know, back to the start, mm-hmm. um, uh, you know, it just forgotten. It, I, I don't think they're trying to hide anything. I, you know, I tried to get in the bubble. And, uh, it, our NBA writer is in the bubble with NBA, and they would not let uh, independent reporters into the MLS bubble. There are uh, team website uh, and team social media people in there, but independent reporters not affiliated with the league were not allowed in. I don't think they're trying to hide anything. I think that was probably good not to let us in the bubble. They got enough people in there to worry about anyways. Right. But the feeling at the games is we're an afterthought. It's like we don't really want to mess with these guys. It's too much. We've got too much going on. We really care about the TV. We don't care what anyone's writing about this tournament. Um, we don't care about the newspapers and the magazines. We just care about the TV. And, yeah, they let us in because they kind of had to but they're really not doing much to make it a comfortable environment. They're not doing much to help us cover the tournament, that's for sure. Well, I'll say this just from uh, from my view is that uh, last night there was obviously a, a game uh, between the LA Galaxy and Portland of which I got to sit on my couch, watch that game. Immediately after the game was over, went on the Zoom call and literally, I don't know, t- what, 10 minutes after the game is over, Kevin, the, the press conferences start? Like, it's almost immediate. Um, so basically I was able to get all the stuff I normally do, um, done. And if I would have done that at the stadium, I probably would have been writing till, you know, I publish around probably close to midnight and then, you know, I get home around 1am. Meanwhile, uh, last night I got to publish before 11pm, uh, and was in bed by 11pm. So, I mean, we can certainly, uh, from your view, uh, it's, it's, it's much more difficult and just that timeline and in compressing that timeline is difficult because, you know, they don't, uh, you know, as you and I were talking about, they don't really let you hang around for very long. Whereas in whenever we're at stadiums, we get to write for like, you know, a couple hours. Usually I'm the last person that leaves the press box. Um, so I routinely leave the press box at Dignity Health Sports Park after midnight, uh, which is kind of cool because I get to walk through the stadium at like 1230 and it's quiet and, you know, it's nice. It's kind of it's a it's a, always a, a I always enjoy that experience doing that, not walking to my car that takes like 12 minutes after I go well, out well, the main entrance. But it's well, it's different. There's a couple things to that. One is yes, they want us out of there, and, and uh, but again, I don't think any any decisions have been made based on what's comfortable for the media that are there. The reason those Zoom press conferences are so are are taking place so quickly is the players go back to uh, their hotel in their uniforms. Um, right. They don't they don't shower at the stadium, and so if Chicharito is going to do a press conference or do the Zoom call, everybody else on the team. Uh, soaked in sweat is sitting on that bus waiting for him. So they move those things along. They happen very quickly. Uh, whereas, you know, a game at Dignity Health Sports Park, we have to wait. There's a 10-minute cooling-off period. Then the manager comes in, does his press conference. Then we go over to the 
a locker room. When they're ready, they open it up. Some players are there, some aren't. Some we have to wait for. There's none of that because, you know, they shower and dress and leave there. Um, none of that happens here. It's it's all chop, chop, let's go. Um, I'm wondering when, you know, people are talking about how the world is going to change after this uh, pandemic is over, if it's ever over. And some of the things that we've learned how to do that are better and they're worse. I think sports media is something that you could really look at. I mean, MLS has figured out a way and the NBA is doing the same thing. Major League Baseball is doing the same thing. They're finding out that, hey, they don't have to let us in the locker room. They don't have to ha have a press box where we need to sit there and say, you watch the game at home on TV, you have a much better view than I do. Mm -hmm. You have access to replays. You have access to up-to-date stats, you know, all that stuff that we don't have in the stadium. I think it, there's a chance that the way sports are covered and, and the way journalists do their jobs, sports journalists anyways, uh, is going to be fundamentally changed after this. You, you know what's missing from all this? It's the ability to find out information quickly. That's that's yeah, that's the thing. And to have a missing. relationship with the players. Yes. I mean, you know, you and I, we have our favorite players, and we like to go up and say, "Hey, did this really happen? And what happened here?" That you know, that's why a lot of the stuff that we found out about Zlatan after he left. You know, players didn't want to talk when he was there, obviously. But you, you, especially in baseball, where you have three and a half hours a day in the clubhouse, uh, you know, just guys hanging around. You build really good relationships, uh, and you can ask them questions. Hey, you know, is the manager on on the hot seat? You know, what's going on with this guy? Are they going to call this guy up from the minors? Same in soccer. Without that personal relationship, you know, the guy, the player is just a guy on a TV screen, uh, and you're just a guy on a TV screen asking a question. When you do a Zoom call, there's no personal relationships. They have no trust with you. They're not going to tell you anything. And people may say, well, that's just a journalist whining. Yeah, it is. But that's how you get good coverage. I mean, that's yeah. how you know that, hey, Ziggy is not getting along with the players or Kurt Anafo has lost the, the, the locker room. That's how we find that out. We're not going to find that out on a Zoom call with 100 people listening. Because yeah, they, they may they may trust you. Yep. And I know you have a, a number of players that trust you implicitly, but they may trust you, but they're maybe they don't trust me, and so they're not going to say that to you on a Zoom call when I'm listening. Yeah, I guarantee none of them trust you. That's for sure, hundred <laughs> percent. With reason. Yeah, I was going to say. No, I mean it. It is an, an interesting sort of take when you when you look at you know just how things are going to change. And listen, in Major League Soccer, we've seen the erosion of the time that we're allowed to have with players. Um, you know, that's gone away, you know, quicker and quicker every single year. So, um, you know, MLS has allowed that erosion and teams have taken advantage of that erosion as well. Um, you know, it used to be whenever David Beckham was in the locker room, Kevin, I used to be able to go up to David Beckham's locker and hang out there. And I had many a conversation with David Beckham or Landon Donovan, um, just BSing beforehand, like, hey, we're not recording this. It's fine. Hey, David, how's how's the family? You know that type of thing. Oh, it's good. You know, my son's doing this. My son. By the way, congratulations to David Beckham's uh, twenty-one-year-old son. Which, by the way, Kevin, when this happened, I banged my head against the the wall, uh, really realizing how how old I am now. Uh, but Brooklyn Beckham got engaged, uh, I think, over the weekend, maybe last weekend or, or the weekend before. Uh, so he's engaged. He's 21 years old. Uh, he's engaged. His fiance uh, looks gorgeous, and, and they look like they're real happy. And apparently, uh, David and Victoria also got engaged at 21. So yes, a little young, the whole deal. But it flashed back in my mind. And I remember Brooklyn running through the LA Galaxy locker room and David yelling at him and threatening to tell, you know, Mrs. Beckham, uh, Victoria, or Posh, as some of you might call her, um, threatening to tell uh, Victoria that the kids weren't behaving. And that's. You know what that means? David yeah. Beckham is about to become a grandfather. <laughs> 
Oh, no. How about that? <laughs> oh, oh, just a couple years away. I mean, God, I don't I don't need that. All right. Uh, but anyway, I, I just that was my frame of reference whenever I was, you know, thinking about the locker room access we used to have uh, talking with David Beckham and which, by the way, what what is me, this guy who started, you know, a website and a podcast? What does he have any business doing talking to, you know, one of the most famous people in the world? And David was always uh, ridiculously nice to me. Um, so it was. But those are the d- relationships during the time when I was there. David knew who I was. Uh, if I ran into him now, he'd probably have no idea. And it would take me 20 minutes to try to explain it. So, um, But all that fun stuff. But that's sort of, you know, that's what's at stake here. We don't need to go on for, about this forever, but that's what's at stake um, for some of this stuff. We'll see what happens. As we said, lots of things in this world are going to change. Um, we'll see how much they change permanently. Uh, I don't know if handshakes are ever coming back. Uh, that, that might be something that'll take a little while. But uh, yeah, there's a, there's a whole bunch of stuff that is that is rapidly changing in front of our eyes. And the way that the media covers and the media access has coverage to, to teams is certainly one of those things. So Hugs too, hugs. Everyone used to love to hug the panda. I, I, yeah, yeah, I was going to say, I, 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 I'm also a hugger. So I, yeah, it's, it's been a cramp, cramp on my style. I don't know what to tell you. Um, let's get a little bit to this LA Galaxy game, however. Uh, so some really interesting things happened in this game. Um, and I sort of teased it at the beginning of this, uh, of my, of my call here, Kevin, which was, um, you know, let's look at, some people may have a worse look of what the galaxy were yesterday. You know, today you're, you're 24 hours removed, almost 24 hours removed as we're recording. Um, you know, you're looking at this and say, okay, so, you know, what happened with the LA galaxy and, and was it, was it a positive? Was it a negative, you know, any of that stuff. And I think that there's some of me that has shifted from the negative, um, to a little bit more positive. I'm not saying it's all positive, but I have a little bit sunnier outlook today than I did yesterday. Um, But there's lots of interesting stuff here because the first thing that we have to touch on is going to be the lineup. Um, And this lineup was an interesting lineup, Kevin, because we didn't know who was going to start. We didn't know how that was going to sort of play out. Uh, We knew that the LA Galaxy were going to have to, um, you know, come out and and replace some people who were injured. Jonathan Dos Santos, uh, you had to replace somebody who, you know, the Galaxy got rid of and Alexander Katai. And what youngster might be the one who sort of highlights all these changes uh, and comes out as the star of the night? Um, and I can say that now because I can I safely say that you know one of the best performances of the night was 17-year-old Carson Native uh, Cameron Dunbar who played on the left wing in what I imagine Guillermo Barros Scaletta would call sort of a four-four-one-one or four-four-two if you really want to go to it. But there's some specific roles in here that were a sign that changed sort of how that formation uh, really works. So the starting lineup for the LA Galaxy was David Bingham and goal. You had Insua, Gonzalez, Steris, and Felcher. So uh, Nick DePew, who was so good through the first two games of the season, got bumped to the bench. Uh, you had Daniel Steris come back in. And of the three of the four defenders that were there, Daniel Steris probably had the best night out of all of them. Um, the, the midfield was Sasha Kleshin and Perry Kitchen. Joe Corona was suspended for this game. Uh, Joe Corona will be available on Saturday for the LAFC game. So keep that in mind with Sasha Kleshin and Perry Kitchen there. Joe Corona probably comes in if, if the rest of the lineup stays the same. Uh, it was Cameron Dunbar on the left-hand side of the midfield, and Sebastian Leject went from the center out to the right side of the midfield. Uh, that's sort of the Katai replacement. And then you had Pavone and Chicharito. So Chicharito starting up top wearing the captain's armband, and then you had Christian Pavone, who uh, in in this game was given a very special role 
and uh, I've been seeing a lot of discussion about it, so we can sort of sort of talk about that as we go. But uh, Kevin, what did you think of this particular lineup? Is this is this Guillermo Barrascolotto, uh, you know, adjusting to some things to understand maybe how to get the ball into more dangerous places, or is this simply just uh, plugging some holes and and really crossing fingers? I, I can't. I don't know to be honest. With you. I mean, I didn't see Cameron Dunbar. I didn't see that at all. But he did probably have the best game. Uh, you know, for the 66 minutes or so that he was in there, probably might have had the best uh, game of, of anybody. I thought he was really impressive. And Gordon Wilde coming off the bench, you know, mm-hmm. with the assist I, and almost a goal, a goal taken away by VAR. He could have had a goal and an assist, and it would have been a 2-2 draw. Uh, I thought Gordon Wilde played very well. Um, yeah, I, I thought it was a strange lineup. I think uh, Dupuis getting uh, sent back to the bench, I think that was probably a good call. Steris is the guy. He's earned that job. Um, he was hurt before, you know, the first two games of the season. So uh, I think he he deserved to get a spot back. That didn't bother me. But, yeah, and, and then going to the 4-4-2, I think one thing that uh, a lot of managers like to do, if they're committed to a certain style of play, some of them, not all of them, some of them will force the players, you know, into those roles even when they don't really fit. I think what Guillermo did was smart in that he didn't have his 4-3-3 that he wanted, uh, you know, and decided, to, you know, without Jonah there, uh, stayed back in LA. He decided to, to sort of shift formations a little bit. I'm actually not sure that that the Pavone role was really the one that you wanted him to play, though. I think he, I think you need to leave, leave him be a little bit more dangerous, a little bit more of a threat. And I don't know that he really was that uh, an offensive threat yesterday. Oh, see, I and I disagree. So, and by the way, you're not you're not in you're not alone in your thinking that that Guillermo. Lots of people are claiming that you know Guillermo uh, sort of set this up to. To, to feature Chicharito, right? Chicharito's the guy. He's the guy who's going to score us goals. So we're going to move everybody around to make sure that Chicharito gets the service that he deserves. And, you know, that way he can lead us and, and all that stuff. And in my mind, I disagree 100%. That's not what was set up. What was set up, however, was uh, people in in some good positions to to allow it. First of all, Legette and Dunbar. Um, Dunbar, you hit, your, you hit the nail on the head. He was dynamic. Um, his thought process... His ability to think. This is a 17-year-old kid, um, and he was playing with. By and they pointed out on the broadcast, 100% right. I stole the stat uh, that Sasha Kleshin is twice the age of Cameron Dunbar. All right, twice the age what, of Cameron Dunbar. What, what other trivia do you know about Cameron Dunbar? Uh, he's from Carson. I know that, so he's the only homegrown player for the LA Galaxy to have been from Carson, where the team is based. Right. That's correct. You got that one right. And it's only by a few feet. I mean, Jesse's artist is from Hawthorne. It's right. really almost the same neighborhood. Right, right. No, I, I, hey, they could be next door neighbors as long as that, that city. But yeah, that was, I remember, whenever Dunbar signed was, yeah, he's the only homegrown player to actually be from Carson, which is, uh, which is really interesting. But he also had a really cool number. Oh, oh 60? You like the yeah. 60? Yeah, I do. I mean, it's kind of like when Manny Ramirez came and he were, you know, 99 and Puig was 66. Just these unusual numbers that stick out. The uh, the interesting thing is on the LA Galaxy roster that I have, um, and I'm pretty sure it's updated, uh, 60 is the highest number on it. So Cameron Dunbar has yep. the highest number on the LA Galaxy. I see the, the, the uh, roster here. Carlos Harvey is 67. He does. That is correct. Do I have Carlos Harvey on there? I don't think I did. Did I? Uh, it's an old It's an old one. I did put Carlos Harvey in there, and I did put his 67, so this is an old one. You're right. Correct. Carlos Harvey, 67. Uh, you know, uh, let's see. Who else do I have? Justin Von Steeg is 41. Gordon Wilde, 31. Uh, and then it's pretty much solid all the way back from 29 whenever you start Ethan Zubak. So 29, 28, 27, 26, all the way back. I think solid. One, two, three. There's no number four. 
that I have right now. Did you now. see Traore took Juninho's number? There you go. So see, I mean, that's, hey, why not? What is What, what else is going to happen, right? I mean, you know, you, you could have that number. Remember, the, it, soccer used to be everybody was just, you know, there was number 10, there was a number 9. You know, everyone had those single-digit numbers. Yeah. and Well, I mean, but yeah, you used to have the single-digit numbers. That was fine. And you still relatively do. I mean, let's look at the starting lineup. Outside of uh, of Dunbar, the highest number is Rolf Felcher 20, with 25, 20. right? Um, Gonzalez, people, Gonzalez has 21. But the, the other thing is that usually... And you see this uh, a lot of in Liga MX. I remember when uh, Tijuana would come and play. You would see guys with triple digit numbers. It was yeah. like it was that's how that's how far down the totem pole you are. We ran out of double digits. We're gonna go triple digit numbers. Yeah, um, when you're wearing a number that stands for a Boeing airliner, that's not that's not good for you. Uh, yeah, not, yeah, your well, your career might not be trending in the correct direction. Well, uh, Portland had a guy with number eighty five. So yeah, he didn't get in the game. Zach McGraw's defender. He had number eighty five. So anyway, let's circle back. Um, but to, so, so like I said, you're not alone in thinking this was set up for Chicharito. Dunbar was good. He liked to cut inside and his ability to think quickly, move quickly and pass quickly uh, really caused some problems for Portland. Um, so I really enjoyed that. Sebastian Legett for me was a complete miss. Uh, I don't know who got, in, got into Sebastian Legett's head and told him that he wasn't allowed to run at people and he wasn't allowed to take up space and he wasn't allowed to pass the ball forward and look for holes. I would rather see Legett take people on and lose the ball than do what basically he's become, which is a sideways passer. Um, he's not unlocking defenses. He's not doing things for me. And and quite honestly, in this game, he was MIA for most of the game. Um, I really uh, There were some defensive things that I think probably stick out of my head a little bit, but uh, he's a right-sided midfielder that should be attacking. This is a guy who, whenever he first came into the league, uh, Bruce Arena, I think, had him score six goals in uh, a limited number of games because he didn't join right away at the beginning of the season. It took a little while for Legette to go, so he scored six goals, and you've never seen him be that dangerous offensively since. Um, so in my mind, somebody needs to go up to Sebastian Legette and say, you're allowed to run at people. You're allowed to try to open up space and you're allowed to pass the ball forward. And if you don't do any of those things, then you get to sit and ride the pine because uh, the theme of the night is going to be a somewhat a lack of creativity. Um, getting back. To, no, it's going to be a totally a lack of creativity. <laughs> I mean, you say that, that you, you say that, right. And certainly watching that, it felt that way, right? Remember the yellow galaxy went down or, or went up a man in the 75th minute, right, Kevin? So you had 15 minutes of, you know, man up soccer, which the LA galaxy eventually ended up scoring with Chicharito, uh, putting the, putting the ball in the back of the net in the 88th minute. Um, there was some stoppage time there. Uh, it wasn't enough for the galaxy really to get it. But if you also remember two goals that got called offside that were put in the back of the net, uh, there was a penalty kick that should have been converted inside the first what 12 or 15 minutes um so you know there were lots of chances for the la galaxy to score in this uh but getting back to chicharito obviously the penalty kick miss was a huge turn there because it's early uh, i think perry kitchen talked about it in the post game kevin he was sort of saying you know we we earned a penalty kick inside the first 12 minutes or 15 minutes we, you know that's pretty good he goes we were creating chances the theme really was even from question uh from chicharito from guillermo as well was that we played better than what this result was. And I kind of blew it off whenever I was looking at it, but I think there are some positives to take from this. And my big thing is the Pavone role that Pavone was asked to play. Uh, you know, people said that, that Guillermo was limiting him with how he was lined up with Chicharito. And, and I sort of hear like people saying, Oh, he's played out of position. Guillermo Barrascoloto allowed Christian Pavone to play any position that he wanted. He was a free position out there. So for people saying that, you know, he's bending to Chicharito and trying to get Chicharito. No, no, no. He actually gave the best player on the field all of the freedom to do whatever he wanted, knowing 
that he's a very smart player. And for me, Christian Pavone, yes, you would have liked to see him take more shots, but at the same time, created a bunch of chances, was dangerous, was somebody Portland had to mark. And uh, when you look at the assists and everything that sort of comes into the, you know, the Chicharita goal, Christian Pavone was all part of, of all of these moves. So you got your two most dangerous offensive players, which is Pavone and Chicharito, involved in the play. Chicharito had the most shots out of anybody. Um, he had a bunch of chances. And listen, I think he'd be the first one to say, Kevin, that he blew chances on this night. And we know about the penalty kick. We know about the the one, um, I think, early in the second half where the ball was sitting basically at the six yard or just at the penalty kick mark. Um, and he skied it over the roof. So that was a miss there as well. So between those two and the one he put in, Chicharito... Well, he had the header. He had the header too. Though. He had the header that just what, I, yeah, just went over the bar. Um, the header was more of a half chance than like a full chance. But you're right. It's a chance. Um, so having said all that, uh, if Chicharito is sharper, he scores three goals on the night and he doesn't have to work very hard to do it. Um, the one goal that he did score was huge, though, Kevin. And that was the kind of goal that you wanted to see, the movement that you wanted to see and all that stuff. So, again, I you know, I can pick apart some of these things that that happen in the midfield and certainly happen in the defense. Maybe that's where we should focus next. But for me, to understand what Dunbar did, what Pavone did, what Chicharito did, and to some extent what Kleshton provided, um, I think that there's more progress than perhaps even I wrote about in my story. I feel like there might have been a step forward and a little bit more understanding of the LA Galaxy doing some good things. Well, before we get too far away from that, I mean, Chicharito missing the penalty kick, that that's, you know... I don't want to say it's inexcusable, but you know when you're a striker, that's that's you know that's your bread and butter. You got to score on that, and that was a poor attempt, and it wasn't struck very well. It went right into the keeper. The keeper was actually moving in that direction before Chicharito even hit the ball. Uh, and Chicharito said that this is not a secret. He talked about. It. He said his quote after the game was, "I let the lads down." Um, you know, he he did what a leader should do, and he took it upon himself. Despite that, you know, he led the team in shots. He had five shots. He had his first two shots of the year on goal, which is good. We were talking about that after the first two games. Um, but his touches, you know, he still only had 32 touches. It's the lowest of anybody who uh, uh, who played more than, you know, a couple of minutes. But certainly the lowest of any starter. Uh, you'd like to see him get the ball a little bit more, but maybe maybe give uh, the defense a little credit, Portland's defense, for taking him out of the game. He did move really well in the box, and if you watch the replay of the goal, that's vintage Chicharito, the way he, he moved and anticipated, and he's playing with a guy, Gordon Wilde, that he didn't have a lot of experience with, but anticipating where the ball was going to go uh, and being in position you know, to score that goal, that's vintage Chicharito, and, and I, I think that moment may prove to be more important than uh, we originally thought. Yes, it put the Galaxy back in the game and gave them a chance uh, late. Uh, and and they were playing, you know, uh, Portland was playing shorthanded. But the penalty kick really weighed on him. The first two, miss, uh, two misses at the start of the second half, you could tell that it was starting to weigh on him. What do I need to do to get a goal? Well, he got one. Uh, and you could see the relief on his face as he ran up the field. He got that goal. It, it, you know, that is off his back now. He doesn't have to worry about that. Um, he can relax a little bit. I think you're probably going to see a much better Chicharito against LAFC simply because he's got that first goal out of the way. He doesn't have to listen to the criticism anymore. He got the shots on goal. He did the things that they hired him. They brought him here to do. So um, I think that's going to be a big psychological boost for him. Yeah, I, I think it has to be. Um, and, you know, you said, you know, he'll he'll play better against LAFC. Well, the whole entire LA Galaxy team better play better against LAFC. 
Um, one of the stats that sort of caught my eye, and I'm not a big, huge stats guy, but I'm certainly not one of these people who sits there and tries to pretend that stats don't matter in stock in soccer. They do. They can tell a story. Uh, they can tell a story that maybe you weren't aware of, and they give you things to look for. Um, but I was looking at the expected goals um, for this game, and basically it finished with the LA Galaxy at 2.32 expected goals uh, and the Portland Timbers at 1.78. So if you look at that, that means that Portland basically outperformed their expected goals because they scored two goals out of the 1.78, right? And uh, and the LA Galaxy underperformed theirs by a severe amount. Um, the big chances that came in this game, and we talked about it, the Chicharito uh, penalty kick miss, yeah, the, the shot from the top of the box, the header, um, you know, you're getting your forward and... And somebody on Twitter, and I can't remember who it was, said, you know, I'm of the opinion that all crosses are not created equal. And I think that's great because one of the biggest criticisms coming into this game was that Guillermo Barrascoleto's only idea was to cross the ball high into Chicharito and find and see what happened, right? I mean, you know, it was one of those because it works so well with Zlatan, right? So you just do it with Chicharito. But what you saw in this game was, yes, there were some of those crosses. Um, I think Rolf Felcher probably put in several blind crosses that went absolutely nowhere. Um, and Felcher didn't exactly have a five-star night uh, if you're going to our website to see uh, Grading the Galaxy and the Hammer put up his grades for the game last night. Uh, you know, they're not all created equal and there were several balls that were put on the ground that were played low um, across the goal mouth and in places that Chicharito can and should be. Um, so I think the Galaxy, in terms of baby steps here, it feels like the LA Galaxy, you know, were learning as they were going along. Now there were plenty of times in this game where it felt like there was there was there was no idea. They didn't know what to do with uh, with the ball. Um, you know, it seems like talking to the guys afterwards, Kevin, that it was a little bit of their plan to try and sit back and absorb a little bit. Um, it feels like that they had the idea. Having said all that. The expected goals basically showed that the LA Galaxy uh, had a 51% chance to win that game, uh, a 25% to draw that game, and only a 24% chance for Portland to win that game. Um, so understand what that ex, you know expected goals rating sort of means, and then go back and watch that game and see if you can find more of the positives than certainly look. The, the eye test doesn't get passed in this game, Kevin, because it was a, a, a herky-jerky sort of you know, bad, bad game. It wasn't great soccer. Uh, it wasn't overly creative. Uh, Dunbar was the most creative player on the field uh, for his time in there. I think Christian Pavone was creative. Uh, I didn't love Sasha Kleshton's ability to break people forward. And I think that was what was missing. So clearly Jonathan Dos Santos missing um, his ability to break lines and find passes was missing. Uh, Perry Kitchen is a defensive midfielder. Sasha Kleshton is a box to box guy. They asked a 34 year old Sasha Kleshton to run back and forth for 90 minutes. They asked Perry Kitchen to mainly defend. And for the most part, uh, I don't think he had any tackles on the night. He does a good job of harassing and chasing and doing some stuff. But the real disappointment for me came from uh, uh, three defenders, which was uh, Insua, Emiliano Insua, People Gonzalez, and Rolf Felcher. And the two goals that they allowed to Portland in seven minutes were, were all creations of lax, poor defending, uh, poor positioning. And I would say, you know, in, in terms of the second goal where Blanco basically ran through a soft tackle from Insua and then, you know, another sort of half chance, half try from People Gonzalez and then scored on David Bingham, um, you know, you look at those and you say you, something has to change with Guillermo here because uh, People Gonzalez now has been the victim of these types of things throughout last year. And 
and now this year, Kevin. And you know, I know he's. Everybody wanted to say. Everybody said this was a good signing, including myself. Uh, People Gonzalez is you know a World Cup veteran. Uh, he's a national team veteran. This is a guy who knows how to play, and certainly uh, his time in Columbus proved that he knows how to play in Major League Soccer. But whatever's happening with him right now, I don't know how you can keep Depew on the sideline right now, Kevin, knowing that, you know, people Gonzalez is a serious issue within your defensive back line. Uh, all that is true. And I think Dupuy probably is going to wind up. If Guillermo looks at this as some of the fans are, who are already talking about, you know, perhaps his job may be on the line and, and you're going to talk in a minute about how this is one of the poorest starts in, in team history. So it's only three games. Yes. And it's only that that was only the third game in eight months for the galaxy. There's a lot of other things to, to think about, too. There was no atmosphere in the stadium. It was it was actually pretty sad. It was, a, uh, you know, if you're used to, a, if you're a People Gonzalez and you're used to playing in World Cup games, to play in a silent stadium, um, you know, some of the players are talking about you have to motivate yourself. You have to push yourself because it's hot, it's humid. Um, and when you start to get down and you need that little lift, you can't get that from the fans because they're not there. Um, so, you know, uh, there were a lot of sort of environmental things that, that didn't make this game easy to play. But, uh, and I think, I think, you know, people's jobs should be on the line. I think maybe Dupuis played so well, uh, you know, when Steris was out that he probably deserves a chance. And it's a tough call because you do have a World Cup veteran versus a young guy. You have one of the highest paid players on the team versus one of the lower paid players on the team. But if, if uh, Guillermo wants to save his job, he may have to make that change. Guillermo yesterday after the game in the press conference said, this was a game we deserved to win. There's no way we should have lost that game. He said that maybe three or four times in the last year plus after games that the Galaxy lost. And to me, that's not a good look. I think the manager needs to say, we didn't do we didn't do well enough. Um, and, you know, we didn't play well enough. We didn't uh, finish our chances. And I think Guillermo needs to be a little bit stand-up like Chicharito was after the game and just say, look, we didn't play well enough. And so I went to look at the numbers like you did too. And I thought, well, you know, what what's Guillermo talking about? You know, did they, was there a one-sided shot advantage for the Galaxy and stuff? And you know what? There really wasn't. They outshot Portland by one, 13 to 12. Um, Portland outshot them in the second half. The, Portland had more shots on target. Um, you know, Portland won more duels. Um, it, you know, a lot of the st- statistics are in favor of Portland, either that or it's very close. What Portland did is they converted the opportunities they had and the Galaxy didn't. And that's what separates a winning team from a losing team. You know, the batting title doesn't go to the guy who had the most at-bats. It's the guy that had the highest average that that came through the highest percentage of times. That's the guy that wins the batting championship. It's the same in soccer. If you have 100 shots on goal and you don't com- you don't get any of them into the net, that doesn't mean you had a good night. That means you blew all your chances. So this idea of, you know, we outplayed them, but they scored more goals. Well, yeah, they made they took advantage of their opportunities and you guys made a couple of key mistakes. Uh, and, and that's why the game ended the way it is. So uh, I, I think there needs to be some accountability uh, from the galaxy too. But having said all that, it was their first game in over 120 days. It was their third game in eight months. It was in a very difficult environment. Um, there were some chemistry issues, but uh, you know, hopefully it, those were opening night jitters and those will work themselves out. Yeah. But they got a tough game coming up. I mean, it's not like you can, you know, you can ease into this thing. Now it comes the toughest game of their, of their first round. Yeah, it, it is. And, and by the way, their third game is going to be a tough game as well. So, uh, the next two games and you know, there's a realistic chance and we'll talk about this here in a second that the galaxy finished with, z- with zero points out of this. Uh, I can see them losing to LAFC and I can see them losing to Houston. I can see them drawing with both those teams. I can see them winning both of those games as well. This is so 
sort of the enigma right now that is the LA Galaxy, which is if you take all the positives that came out of you know a two-one loss. Um, at times it looked uninspiring. I, I think, you know, you were talking about, you know, some of the stuff you were talking about the atmosphere. I have to go back to this. Uh, obviously I was watching it on television. I was wa- not watching it online. So I had the Fox soundtrack. So I had the fake crowd noise, uh, there, Kevin, uh, the humorous part for me, uh, is that I think about this as, as, as sort of a, 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 a sound guy who, who listens to this stuff is that there was some guy in a Fox studio somewhere adding in like booze whenever he wanted to. Like just whenever, like the the penalty kick, whenever Chicharito earned the penalty kick, there were boos coming, and I'm sitting there going, somebody literally had to push a button whenever this happened and been like, oh well, I'm gonna have boos right now, and that's what they decided to do, and that to me cracks me up. I will tell you this, uh, I'm not a fan of the of the fake crowd noise. And the reason is, I think it lies about what's going on. And as you pointed out, Kevin, uh, there was no atmosphere there. Uh, It's very difficult. And if you play it without that fake crowd noise, you understand that. All right. You can see that. Now, the, the players don't get to hear that here that somebody asked if the players hear the fake crowd noise. No, they don't. It's there. There's nothing there. So the, the atmosphere that's actually there is the quiet, is the unease, is the and you understand that the motivation has to come from the players themselves. I enjoy the fake crowd noise because it makes me think this is a real game. Or, or at least like a regular game, I should say, um, you know, a game with fans in it and stuff like that. But I don't like the crowd noise because that lies about what the atmosphere is. And that's I, my I, that's my biggest take on on the crowd noise. Have you ever seen a TV show filmed, whether it's a game show or yes. a sitcom or anything? Yes, I have. Uh, let's see. Do you let, let's go. Let's throw it back to so well, you know how old Josh is. Um, I went to a television taping whenever I was in high school. Uh, and uh, it was the first show that we went to because uh, we went to two in the same day. Uh, the first show that we went to was Brotherly Love with the Lawrence Brothers. I don't know if anybody remembers that television show, but Joey Lawrence and then all the other ones who I can never remember their names, they were all on a show called Brotherly Love, and I was there. And then our nightcap, which was the more adult show, was the John Larroquette show. Uh, so those are those are the two. Sto- By the way, watched both of those whenever I was uh, w- around that time as well, just because I, I saw that. I think the first one I saw in person was the Danny Thomas show. The Danny Thomas. <laughs> See, at least at least you're older than me. That's all that that's all that really says. Because I was going to make the point that you can see the players. They come out in the warm up and they don't seem to be too freaked by by every everything by the environment but when they come back onto the pitch when they line up and they walk out with the referees and that big boom box right next to my table starts playing music you see the expression on the players faces like what's going on here because they march out and you see on tv a tight shot you really don't know what's going on but there's nothing there they're marching out to this music and then they surround the center circle and take a knee and all that's for TV. It, it's a TV show. And, and I, I kept thinking about seeing TV shows where, you know, there's canned laughter where the performer tells a joke, you know, in the script. And there's this canned laughter. And you see that on TV and you think that's environment. If you're there on the soundstage when they're doing that, it's extremely weird. The performers are performing for one another. And there's they, they don't get the response like Saturday Night Live. They don't get the response from a live crowd. And it's the same thing with the players. They might make a good pass or they might slip or they might fall down. There's no reaction from the crowd. And the first time you really see that is, is again, when they march onto the field because you just the, the first time. Now, it's the second games. The second games have started tonight. 
you know, players are know what to expect now. But that first time out there, the players are like, this feels really weird. And, yeah. and, and, you know, it, it feels like we're in a play. It doesn't feel like we're actually having a game. I can see that. Yeah, it, it is. And but I don't know. Most of the time, these games just start anymore now, Kevin. It's, there's no walkout. There's no nothing. We the, the television cuts in. Uh, I know that you're you've been at some of these games. I know you've watched some on the TV, but like the, the coverage cuts in usually when everybody's lined up ready to go. Um, so it's, it's this, again, it's a weird thing. And then they take a knee and there's nothing sort of, there's the silence going on and then it sort of pops out and, and then the game starts. Um, so yeah, it's, it's really, really interesting, but that's why I don't like the Fox soundtrack because it's a lie and you can go by the way, uh, online and watch it. You're just going to be like, you know, like 30 seconds behind everybody. Cause I had somebody in one of my group chats who was like, Oh, wait, wait, what happened? And we would, we, as a bunch of us would be talking out about a certain play and he's like, I haven't got there yet. And it's like, okay. Yeah. So if you want to be, you know, 30 seconds behind everybody, uh, you can do that. By the way, there was, uh, the Rose bowl watch party, the drive in Rose bowl watch party looked amazing. Um, looked really cool. Looked really fun. Uh, lots of Galaxy fans were there. Galaxy told me they were expecting around 500 cars. I don't know if that's how many ended up going, but that's how that was the capacity, and they thought that they would be at capacity. Um, so that looked really cool. Let's get back to. It um, was bigger capacity than at the. Yeah, game. yeah, yes, absolutely. It is. It is a bigger capacity than at bigger the game. Crowd, yeah. Um, I, I think that, and, and people pointed this out in social media and a bunch of different posts, and I understand the frustration. They called the Galaxy mentally weak. And I think there's something to it. Um, you know, there was a lot of frustration on the field last night. There was a lot of, it feels like not understanding where they're supposed to be, but not just that, but how they're supposed to play. It doesn't feel like Gamera Barrescoloto has put his stamp on this team. And that's a problem now coming into, you know, his second full year. Um, the big deal on the television program, Kevin, was how they kept showing the two coaches and you had uh Savarese over for, um, for Portland and you had uh, Guillermo Barrascoloto over there for the LA galaxy. And you would look at these two men who are standing there and Savarese is out there and he's pointing and he's, he's emphatic and he knows what's going on. He knows what to do. And you have Guillermo over there with his hands on his face, running his hands through his hair, looking like he's lost, like he doesn't know what to tell people. And again, we don't know what he was thinking. He could have been thinking, oh, well, we need to fix this, 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 and this. And he was just like, it's a lot of things to fix. And he got overwhelmed. But every time they went to the sidelines to look at Guillermo Barrescoloto, he looked lost. Um, and that can't be, you know, I, I'm sure the players looked over on the sideline and saw him looking this way as well. And we talked about it and we've hinted at it and we talked about it through the first two games of the season about whether or not Guillermo Barrescoloto and his seat was going to get hot. And I think it's going, it's certainly warm and it will get hotter as you go. It's only three games. Um, so we sort of have to remember that. And that's the same thing, by the way, I say with Chicharito, with people who are like, he's useless and blah, blah, blah. Relax. It's three games. And only two of those came when they were actually like, you know, playing real soccer. And now it's basically a preseason tournament that we're watching right now in a lot of ways. Um, so, you know, something is happening now. Uh, he scored, Chicharito scored, but with going back to Guillermo Barrescoloto, something has to change there where Scoloto is able to either get the team to play the way he wants or put somehow allow the players the freedom to play within the system that he has so that way they gain confidence in it. Because what I see right now is guys and, and much like the scrimmage, um, it feels individual, Kevin. It feels like this is this is stuff that's just um, that it's not 
trained on. It feels like guys are doing whatever they want to do and everybody's supposed to react to that. There's no understanding right now of what everybody's supposed to do, where they're supposed to be, and how they're supposed to go about this game. Uh, it certainly feels that way on the defense. It definitely feels that way in the midfield. Outside of Dunbar, nobody had any idea really what to do. And I think that, you know, for Gamera Barrescalotto, he's got to change something. He has to change something, and, and, and I don't know what that is. Maybe he needs to get more uh, emphatic on the sideline, but something has to happen here, Kevin. Well, you know, he Guillermo is not growing on me like I expected that he would. I mean, they won 15 games last year and made the playoffs, but a lot of that was a lot time. I mean, you look at the number of games that he, you know, it probably deserves credit for winning single-handedly, and, and maybe that's part of why you don't see those guys playing as a team and knowing where to go and knowing how to act because – Last year was just throw the ball into Zlatan and see what happens. And now they need to play as a team. I, I never thought Guillermo was very much of a strategist. I mean, he would have a, a game plan and would have a formation, and that was the way they were going to play. And if it worked, it worked, and they won the game. And if it didn't, there was nothing Guillermo was going to be able to do at, at halftime or uh, by making substitutions or tactical moves. You know, I thought Ziggy was really good. A lot of times the team would – would be bad in the first half and, and they would make some halftime adjustments and you could see it. It's, it didn't always work, but you could see the changes. You could see the thinking that was going on with Guillermo. I don't see any of that. If, you know, again, it's just, we, we've decided on Tuesday how we're going to play and now it's Saturday and I'm not going to change anything. Um, but you're right. Something does have to change. And uh, the player Sebastian, especially talked about before the game, like, Hey, we stunk it up the first two games. This is a chance at a restart. This is really a great opportunity for us to wash away, you know, the bad memories of four months ago and start anew. And, and you didn't see any of that. Uh, and so I, I do need to see some, some more from Guillermo. I need to see some fire from the team. I mean, it, it Players at this level probably don't need the coach to motivate them, but the fact is if the team's not playing well, it's the coach's fault. So he needs to he needs to be the one that makes a change. And uh, he came in with such a high pedigree, and it just makes me wonder what the difference is. Did Boca just have way better players? Is yes. it those – well, yeah, <laughs> yes. they did. And so he could roll the ball out there. But then, you know, I mean, there are good – Pavone was one of his players there. And Chicharito is a very good player. The Galaxy have some good players. Maybe the difference is, you know, Boca had 11 players of a certain quality. And the Galaxy may have three or four players of that quality. And, and Guillermo's just not sure how to get the others to do what he wants them to do. Um, maybe he's asking them to do the things that they're not capable of doing. And again, we know that he's not great at making technical changes. And maybe when the players can't perform the way they did it in, in Argentina, he doesn't know what to do with them. Yeah, I mean, I think there's a lot of, you know, hey, you know, in Argentina was I have some veteran players. They can basically coach this team or they can they can do stuff. And, you know, Bruce Arena used to do this. Bruce was not stupid whenever he would pick his veterans. Uh, guys like Greg Berhalter and Eddie Lewis, um, you know, even having eventually, you know, Mar somebody like Marcelo Sarvas, uh, you know, sitting next to somebody like Juninho, you know, there was an age difference there. So, um, you know, Bruce was smart about this. Guillermo needs to be smart about this. And Dennis needs to understand this about this team as well going into it. But let's highlight something we knew was going to be an issue with Guillermo Barrescalotto, Kevin. Um, in fact, we made jokes about it. I can tell you in, uh, on last Thursday's show, we said, what are the chances that Guillermo Barrescalotto, what's the over under on number of subs that Guillermo Barrescalotto makes when he's allowed five? What is the over under number? And I put that over number, Kevin, on three. All right. Guillermo Barrescalotto made how many subs last night? Do you remember? I know he made at least two. Was it just two? Or it was just two. It was just two. Out of the 13 games that have been played in Major League Soccer so far in this tournament where five subs allowed, 
ask. I'll, I'll let you know how many teams have made two or fewer substitutions. Well, it has to be one because otherwise he wouldn't be asking this question. That is correct. So, 22 teams. Let's see. It was 24 teams. 26 teams uh, played, and only the LA Galaxy made just two subs. Those two subs, by the way, that came in, uh, Emil Cuello uh, and Gordon Wild. Cuello was actually pretty good. Guillermo was happy with uh, the way that he played whenever he came in. Wasn't a huge impact, but probably could have put him on earlier in the game. Uh, and then Gordon Wild, who we talked about, came on to the get field. Uh, his first touch in his first minute uh, scored a goal and ended up being offside, correctly ruled offside, by the way. And uh, so those subs, you know, Gordon Wild made a difference. So why weren't there guys like Julian Araujo being put in? And why weren't there guys like, you know, Efrain Alvarez going in? We haven't heard of, you know, many injuries. Cuello apparently was sick, I think. And so that's why he didn't start or he wasn't considered as a possible starter. So that was that was one of the things that came in there. But he did play. Um, so you look at all these different things and you say, what is what is Guillermo going to do? You're in the heat and humidity of the swamplands of Florida here, Kevin. Everybody's making multiple subs. And in fact, as we've seen in these games, being able to make five subs in the second half can severely alter the outcome of these games. Uh, we've seen multiple comebacks. We've seen teams be down multiple goals uh, and be able to score those multiple goals in the second half, thanks in part to the subs and the hydration breaks and the things that are going on. So what is going on with Guillermo Barrescoloto that he only makes two substitutions? There's only two possibilities that I can come up with. One is he doesn't think he has the talent on the bench to be able to affect that change. Or two, he doesn't understand what it means to what it means to play in these conditions and what it means to be able to change the game. And he's not watching these other games. Those are the only two things that I can come up with. Well, I think a third one, as I said, I, you know, I have not been impressed with his ability to, to change a game on the fly and, and to make, you know, substitutions and tactical moves to change the direction of a game. And, and that may be another part of it. You know, it, it's almost like he wants like for like, we've decided we're going to play a four, four, two, and this is the way it's going to be. And you don't take a defender off and put an attacker on because then that changes the formation. And, and I don't know how to do that. I mean, that's the only thing I can think of is that I, I think part of it is you're right. He, you know, at Boca, he could go and grab a, an MLS quality player and, and, and send him in off the bench. I don't think he has a lot of confidence in the guys he has or, or the confidence in their talent level. Although certainly we've seen Efrain Alvarez come in and change games in the past. You know, maybe he wasn't 100 percent. We've seen what Araujo can do. But I, I think the part of it is, is is he is just doesn't seem or hasn't shown me that he's real good at, at the tactical changes that you make to change the direction of a game. The, again, the Galaxy play from the opening whistle to the final whistle. They play the same way, and if they wind up with more goals than the other team, they win. And if they if they don't, there's nothing that the bench that's going to happen off the bench that's going to change that. Yeah, it's not a it's not a horrible shout. Um, it, it's just really interesting as you look at the Western Conference standings again. Regular season games count for regular season standings. Um, you know, as much as I think we'd all like to throw this tournament out the window in terms of what it means for the team, is you're going to come out of this with a with a standing in the Western Conference. So Western Conference standings right now, out of 12 teams in the Western Conference, the LA Galaxy sit last with one point. They're one of three winless teams: San Jose Earthquakes, Houston Dynamo, and the LA Galaxy are the three winless teams. Um, again, just one, um, just one uh, point for the LA Galaxy sitting there. By the way, Kevin, that one point means the LA Galaxy. How did that stack up in history, Josh? Oh wow, what a what a setup! It's like we're professionals. Um, that one point in 2020 through three games. I understand it's three games. You understand it's three games. That's fine. But that one point through three games is the second 
worst start through three games in franchise history. Only 1997, where they were winless through three games, had zero points. Um, it stands out as a game as, and that was by the way in the shootout era. All right, so there were no draws. Um, so you could, you might even chalk that one up to, uh, to hey, maybe they could have had more points if they allowed draws, but no. Uh, that didn't happen. So 1997 was zero points. Everything else has been two points or greater. Uh, the best start for the LA Galaxy was through three games, three wins. And I think that happened just twice, uh, 1996 and 2010. Um, so 1996, the first year of, uh, of the league. And then 2010 uh, was uh, obviously a supporter shield winning year in which they probably should have won MLS Cup, but didn't. Um, so that's where uh, where you sort of sit with those standings. Uh, as we look here, Kevin, as well, we also have uh, the group standings uh, that we have to talk about. And the LA Galaxy currently sit last with zero points in Group F. The Portland Timbers with the win have three points. Houston Dynamo, Los Angeles FC had a six-game draw or six-goal draw uh, that was uh, very fun to watch. If you're uh, if you're a neutral fan on that, uh, so you had uh, one point each for them. It currently has the Houston Dynamo in place in a tiebreaker. What that tiebreaker is, God only knows. Uh, maybe it's. I, I was going to say it might be uh, alphabetical, but that doesn't work either. So apparently, for some reason, they have the Houston Dynamo in second and Los Angeles FC. Uh, uh, they're in third, the LA Galaxy in fourth. Uh, remember, well, you, you yeah. talk about the slow start. It's you know it's one tenth of the way into the season. <laughs> uh, it's thirty-four games, and we don't think it's going to be thirty-four games. Um, so it, there, there is some um, um, it, there is some need to to sort of get things going here. It could be a twenty, maybe twenty-five game season. Um, and the galaxy can't just they just can't afford to let any more points slip away. No, it's it's again if you want to make anything of this season, all the stuff counts. Uh, the big news here is that the LA Galaxy, uh, I imagine Kevin, and with a loss to LAFC, pretty much should be eliminated. Um, yeah, they need at least a point. I, I I've been trying to do the math, and and yes, there's probably some uh, you know if you get out the the some big computer, a block-long computer, and run the numbers, you could probably find a scenario in which they can advance without uh, a point against LAFC. But if they go the first two games without a point and go, in, you know, even with the third-place team advancing, I've tried to look at the math, and there's very, very few scenarios in which the Galaxy can advance without at least a point uh, uh, against LAFC. Yeah, it, it makes more sense. Then they have to beat, you know, the Houston Dynamo, which who they struggled with and who uh, put up a great, you know, fight against LAFC um, in the opening round there as well. Uh, you know, the bottom line is the Galaxy also have to score a lot of goals. A uh, goal differential will matter um, in this. So, you know, if you're going to tie, make it a 7-7 tie, I, I, I would guess. Um, maybe something like that. I don't know the goal differential also. So if you're going to win, win by a whole bunch. You know, it's all of those um, sort of standard mantras of group stage games. Hey, a couple of, um, I know we talked about Cameron Dunbar and he was fantastic and that was his MLS debut and I don't know if you saw online his parents watching from Carson. That was really cool to see that. Um, so Cameron Dunbar, congratulations, MLS debut. Another guy with his MLS debut is the chef, Gordon Wilde. Ah uh, yes, yes, absolutely. And, and that assist tied him with David Bingham for the team lead. He was, he has been um, in the scrimmage that we saw. He was one of the more dangerous players. Uh, I think he played on. I can't remember if his grew the the gray or the blue side. However, they had it on. But he was one of the more dangerous players on that on that side. Um, we talked about Ethan Zubak being the the other dangerous player on the other side. Um, so between those two, I would expect that you're going to see. When we talked about this, Kevin. You said it. There's going to be some guys who are getting chances that maybe don't uh, shouldn't get a chance or or wouldn't get a chance otherwise. Carlos Harvey is one of those guys again that if you have you know an exhaust 
exhausted midfield that you just made run for 90 minutes um, and, and or an outside back who you made run back and forth for 90 minutes in the in the heat and humidity, uh, despite the fact that Sasha Kleshin said, oh, well, we're we're in shape. Well, I think what we proved is, you know, we have some pretty good fitness. And Perry Kitchen said the same thing. He's like, we feel like we're in shape. So, you know, the 90 minutes wasn't that bad for us. Uh, that's going to start stacking up as you get closer and closer with these games every five days. It, it, it's enough time to recover. It's just not all the time you need to recover. So what do you like for a nickname for Gordon Wild? The chef, the wild thing. What, what are we going to go with? Uh, I kind of like the chef because it's second level. You know, you got to kind of think about you gotta, it. First of all, everybody knows him because his family is 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 our circus performers. Yeah. Um, and so then you the go with the chef. Street. Yeah, the chef. yeah. Then you go well, with the chef because he won that contest. I mean, yes. remember he won that cooking contest. D- Dunbar is going to be Dunny. I mean, every sports person they take their name and they shorten it and they add a Y on the end. Cameron Dunbar is way, be- way too. By the way, I know two Dunnies: Todd Donovan and Brian Dunseth. Cameron See, Dun- it makes my point. You just shorten the name and add a Y. It <laughs> happens every time. But the, but having said that, there was a, there was a guy that played for the Florida Panthers when I covered them, and his name was Stumple, and his nickname was Stumpy, which is not what you want to hear your teammates <laughs> calling you when you're walking naked through the locker room. I, I understand. Family show, Kevin. Family show. Uh, <laughs> anyway, no, I was going to say Cameron Dunbar is way too cool to to succumb to the to the Dunny trap. Okay, so I imagine you know it's going to be something way cooler, and that I I will that I will never know. Okay, nobody the Carson kid, the Carson kid, something. It's going to be it's going to be something good. Okay, but uh, Cameron Dunbar deserves a good nickname right now. He doesn't yeah, he deserve does. to be dunnied. Okay, uh, all right. I'll talk to Todd Donovan and Brian Dunst to see if they have any nicknames that they wanted to be called but didn't weren't ever able to have that happen. So uh, we'll see how that goes. But that's really uh, that's sort of you know the wrap up of all this. Um, the the last bit of news I wanted to throw in was sort of just sort of sideways LA Galaxy news. But just in case you were interested, uh, former LA Galaxy midfielder Alexander Katai uh, signed back with Red Star Belgrade. It's his old team. Um, this Red Star Belgrade is in Serbia. In case you wanted to know, um, they're also considered. I, this was not my consideration, a but good, a good fit for Katai. I, that's is the, what you're saying. That's the best way to say it. Um, you know, there was it, it makes a lot of sense. One, they, they are came, not wearing Black Lives Matter on the back of their uniform. No, Let's put it that way. No, they they will not be doing that. It makes sense that he came from there and then goes back there. And so, however that is, that's fine. And the LA Galaxy can can move forward with that. Um, and so, you know, that's sort of the news. The LA Galaxy, good, good, rid- good riddance. I, I would think so. I think most people feel that way. I know I feel that. That way um i think that if you look back it was probably a mistake for the la galaxy not to have vetted uh can, can you imagine if he had stayed and uh, i mean i i don't know the guy uh, but you know we can look at where he you know some of the actions that took place um while he, in the short time he was here but what would it have been like for him to have to take the knee for the black lives matter protests i mean even if he didn't agree with his wife he's going to hear from his wife about it uh you know when they speak yeah that might have been very uncomfortable for him it, well darn um, but no, I, it's that's the whole situation. Is I, th- I think it's better left to exactly where it's at, and so uh, Katai is is gone, um, and you know it makes it, sense. It could have been an away. educational experience for him. It sh- I mean, I sh- it should have been. I, I always think that, but I, sometimes I think people don't actually want to be educated about things. Um, I think people get tired of, of being told that they need to learn things, and that makes them go into their little tiny balls and complain about different things. So uh, I always try to put myself in the shoes of the other person. Um, or if that was my child, um, what I would, what I would say, what I would do and how I would react, um, to those things. So it's, uh, it's, 
it's it's difficult sometimes to exactly pin down um, you know what makes people tick I mean God I can't for the life of me I can't imagine how most people in this world you know get through what they have to get through whether that's good bad sideways or, or otherwise and I consider myself to have led a pretty charmed life um, and there's lots of people out there who are much stronger much smarter than me um, so it's just an interesting uh, sort of study to see uh, Katai come from Red Star Belgrade go back there and you know everybody seems perfectly comfortable with all of that so you said if, if it was your child yeah you actually have, you actually have children but when you said yes. child it made me think of Ooh Child by the Five Stair Steps one of my favorite songs wow that's again uh, a Kevin Baxter reference I have no idea where it came from I'm sure there are other people who do I, again I'm not the smartest person in the world I don't want to call you dated uh, I don't want to call you effortlessly humorous either. Um, so whoever did that is clearly off their rocker. But yeah, all that stuff is uh, is is fun. Uh, let's get to the end of this. Uh, the LA Galaxy will take on LAFC on 7.30 p.m. Pacific time on July 18th. Uh, this game on ESPN, uh, the only game the LA Galaxy play in the group stage that is on ESPN. So 7.30 p.m. kickoff time, uh, Pacific time. I have not heard if there is any watch parties planned. I imagine that something's going to come down the uh, the pike here in the, in, the, in the next couple of days that we'll be able to sort of keep you up on. And of course, on Thursday, uh, I believe the Hammer's back in town, uh, or at least back in the studio, or actually not back in the studio, but back in his room. Um, and will be joining us on the show so that way we can preview that game for you on Thursday our live show at 7 you, you guys don't get together anymore right not you haven't haven't since uh, things since things shut down on March 12th all right, gotta wear a mask if you do. Yeah, it wouldn't be a good it wouldn't be a good podcast. You'd have to put like the microphone inside the mask in order for it to actually work. And yeah, I I, I don't know. Maybe maybe I'll build a giant plexiglass sort of divider between us. Um, you know, maybe that that would work. I don't know. It's I'm not sure cool. they sell masks in Florida. Other than the MLS guys, I haven't seen a whole lot of people wearing them. The, the MLS guys had to uh, bring them with them. All right. I yeah, always maybe I, that explains the twelve thousand COVID cases a day. It, it, we already it, talked about that. Yeah, we already did. You already did. In fact, I think you made that joke already. It's definitely time to go. All right, uh, Kevin, <laughs> are we good? Can, can we hang this one up? Effortlessly repetitive. There it is. That's what it is. All right. If you're looking for Mr. Baxter on Twitter, it's at kbaxter11. Please head on over to the LA Times for all of Kevin's sports writing, all of his news writing as well. LATimes.com. He's doing a bunch on covering the LA Galaxy and LAFC, uh, and then also doing some news reporting while he's in Florida as well. So make sure you check that out. LA times.com uh, if you're looking for me on twitter it's at jgesman jguesman and of course at galaxy podcast corner the galaxy.com uh, eric has his great grading galaxy piece up there we have uh, a game recap of what i saw um, in the portland game so lots of stuff lots of coverage coming up we'll have the preview of lafc coming up as well all right for mr kevin the panda baxter in orlando slash kissimmee slash bake bay bay club bay, 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 bay lake that was it bay lake uh, I'm Josh Pato Gesman, and you've been listening to Corner of the Galaxy from the Box on CornerOfTheGalaxy.com. Have a great one, everybody. You've been listening to the Corner of the Galaxy podcast on CornerOfTheGalaxy.com. You can follow the show on Twitter and Instagram at Galaxy Podcast, and be sure to check out and subscribe to iTunes, Stitcher, and Facebook by searching for Corner of the Galaxy. Fans, we thank you for listening, and we ask that you be kind and courteous to your neighbors as you leave the podcast. We thank you for joining us and look forward to seeing you again. Until then, I'm Michael Araujo, and on behalf of the entire Corner of the Galaxy crew, goodbye, everybody.